Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Safeguarding Voice. This podcast is produced by Education Child Protection Limited and on each episode we explore a different area of safeguarding. Our aim is to empower professionals who work with children and vulnerable adults with information and guidance. This episode we are joined by two colleagues from the Disclosure and Barring Service, Danielle Carter who's the Stakeholder Engagement Advisor in the Partnerships Team and Jordan Hayden who's the Regional Outreach Advisor for the North West. They are talking about processes and systems of the DBS and tackling common myths faced by professionals. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, hello and welcome back listeners. Really excited to have on this current episode of Safeguarding Voice two wonderful colleagues from the DBS. So before we get into some myth busting, some overall summaries and guides to those really important systems, let's just do a quick round of introductions for our listeners. So Jordan, do you want to start by introducing your role and the wonderful work you do here for the DBS? Hi, thank you very much for having me. My name is Jordan Hayden and I'm the Regional Outreach Advisor for the DBS for the Northwest Region. So uh, DBS offers an outreach service um, that has a designated point of contact for organisations in each region and we're there basically to provide any form of advice, support, guidance and basically any bespoke support we can to organisations about DBS, safeguard and safe recruitment. Fabulous stuff. And we're also very uh, luckily joined by a second DBS colleague. So, Danielle, if you want to introduce your role to our listeners, please. I'm Danielle Carter and I um, am the National Outreach Advisor for DBS. So I do a very similar role to Jordan, um, but I look after or work with national organisations. Fabulous. And it's great to be here and to get some of those really myth-busting questions kind of solved. I know in a lot of the training and work we do with our wide range of clients, The DBS is certainly an area that we'd like to explore in more detail. So absolutely um, wonderful to be here and super excited to kind of talk through this really important stuff. So perhaps as a good starting point, um, shall we explore kind of a quick intro into the DBS and think about, you know, what the systems are, what you do and the all important legislation, of course, that you act under? Yeah, absolutely. So the DBS, the Disclosure and Barring Service, um, so we offer to support the public. Um, and safeguard the public by um, a number of functions. So our disclosure functions, so providing criminal records checks about mm. individuals, so employers can make safe recruitment decisions yep. about people being suitable to carry out certain roles. And um, we also protect the public through our barring functions, so um, making barring decisions about individuals who may pose a safeguarding concern mm. and potentially legally barring them from working with children or vulnerable adults or both in their regulated activity. Um, so the DBS operates under um, uh, quite a lot of acts of legislation. Yeah. Um, so the main acts that we operate under for the disclosure side of things are the Police Act uh, 1997. Um, and this is supported by acts like the Re- Rehabilitation of Offenders Act, mm-hmm. the Exceptions Order, um, the Safeguard and Vulnerable Groups Act and the Protection of the Freedoms Act. So these outline um, things such as the different levels of DBS check that are available, um, what does somebody have to be doing in order to be eligible for those different levels of check? Yeah. Uh, and also what types of information are going to be disclosed on yeah. those checks, depending on the level. And from the bar side of things, um, really the Safeguard and Rural Groups Act um, outlines what our bar and functions operate under. And again, these outline the steps and processes that DBS needs to take in order to 
place someone on one of those barred lists and mm. keep preventing them from working in regulated activity. Mm. And that overall objective, of course, of making organisations safe for service users, for children, young people, vulnerable adults, and equally to support employees as well. Obviously, the bit around their you know, Rehabilitation of Offenders Act, making sure that there is employment opportunities for individuals who may have had, you know, experiences with you know previously offensive history and stuff like that as well absolutely yeah brilliant um and just to kind of you introduce there jordan about the different types of checks that actually the dbs look to undertake according to obviously the types of organizations the service users their age um so i wonder if it would be helpful for our listeners to kind of do almost a very brief summary of what those different types of checks are yeah, absolutely. So I think it's it's really useful for organisations to know um, not only that there are different levels of checks, but what the different levels are and yeah. what the differences are between them as well. So DBS offer four different levels of DBS checks. So um, I'll work through them one by one. Um, so we have a basic DBS check, and this is available to anybody. So regardless of the job role and what they're doing, who they're working with, mm-hmm. um, anybody is eligible to apply for a DBS basic check. Um, so it's a system there that's designed for anybody who wants um, some form of um, criminal record check, yep. um, regardless of what the job role is. After a basic check, we have um, three other levels of check, um, but there are eligibility criteria for these levels of check. So it's what we get asked a lot of questions about in terms of um, being able to apply for the higher levels of DBS check. So mm-hmm. we have um, a standard DBS check, uh, and that is available and to people who meet um, criteria set out in the Rehabilitation of Offenders Act exceptions order. So um, being able to apply for a standard check means that employers would be given information um, about an individual's spent and unspent convictions, cautions, reprimands, warnings, for example, whereas a basic DBS check would provide information about um, an individual's uh, unspent cautions, Mm -hmm. uh, convictions and cautions only. So for a standard DBS check, there are eligibility criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are set out in uh, in legislation and um, there is a link online uh, available that sets out what kinds of roles are eligible for a standard check. Perfect. Uh, and they're generally um, on entry into professions. So certain professions such as a solicitor, veterinary surgeon, mm-hmm. um, they tend to be eligible for uh, a standard check in legislation upon entry into the profession. Above a standard check, we have the enhanced DBS check. Yeah. So this will provide you with the same information a standard check will uh, in terms of providing spent and information on uh, spent and unspent convictions and cautions. Um, but an enhanced level DBS check will also provide you with what's known as relevant police intelligence. Okay. So at this level, um, it may also contain information that the police um, deem to be potentially relevant and therefore ought to be disclosed mm. to an employer. So this could be information that isn't necessarily conviction or caution information, but it's intelligence that the police hold about an individual that they feel is relevant to the role that's being applied for. Okay, and that's very much, I'm presuming, a police box to fill out. The police share information, what they feel is applicable and relevant, rather than it being a a DBS type system. That sounds like very much a police sharing of info. Yeah, absolutely. So for enhanced levels of DBS check, um, when it reaches uh, stage four of the enhanced application process, it's sent to the relevant police forces and yeah. then it's in their hands to follow their, uh, they have a quality assurance framework they follow in order to determine um, what information they hold and whether or not it's relevant and therefore should be disclosed. Um, so as I say, this isn't necessarily conviction or caution information. It could be other intelligence that the mm-hmm. police hold. So 
This could be things such as um, a number of allegations that have been made against an individual or yeah. a number of uh, violent instances that a person might have been involved in, and um, but for whatever reason didn't lead to a conviction or a caution. Okay. But if the police deem that it's still relevant, yeah. they can disclose it on an enhanced level check. And then finally, we have the enhanced with barless check, which is the highest level of check available. So again, this will provide you with uh, all the information an enhanced will, but this is the level that will let you know whether an individual is on uh, one of the barred lists. So whether they are placed on uh, the chil children's barred list or the adults barred list or mm -hmm. potentially both. Um, and that means that they are legally barred from working in regulated activity with children or adults. Mm, OK, and actually, that's a really nice opportunity for us to kind of explore this whole term regulated activity, um, particularly in looking at those differences you referenced, Jordan, there about systems and organisations solely working with children, young people, those under the age of 18, and how that may differ to organisations working with vulnerable adults. So I wonder if, Danielle, if you're happy to kind of talk through those areas for us. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, yeah, in terms of um, eligibility for um, an enhanced with barbers checks, that is set out in the SVGA. So for um, to be in regulated activity with adults, that covers things like um, personal care, providing healthcare, um, social work, and assistance with general household matters, um, conveying an adult due to age, illness or disability. Okay. Um, um, in terms of children, the legislation is set slightly different for children. So regulated activity with children covers things like teaching, training, instruction, caring for children, um, giving advice and guidance to children. Um, again, driving a vehicle for children as well, that's another one. And again, these certain um, specified establishments that are set out in legislation, and that covers places like schools. So anyone who's doing certain work within a school um, or within a, a children's home. And they also have to be doing the work often enough. That's a key thing as well. So mm -hmm. a person needs to be doing the work often enough with children as well. So we call that our period condition. Um, so yeah, anyone who's doing any of those sorts of activities could be in regulated activity. Yeah. Um, and they will be eligible for the highest level of DNS check. Fabulous. So a real kind of difference there in terms of the nature and type of role, work, contact, the duration element you said there as yes. well about yeah. that activity and how that would then link to that kind of regulation activity agenda, really, ultimately. Um, and I'm wondering if that kind of, you know, when we're thinking about those wider systems, such as the barring, the barring system itself, what that happens, what the process and what ultimately the impact of being barred would be, would look like. Um, it'd be really interesting for our listeners to kind of have an overview as to, to that process as well. So I'm not sure who wants to fill that area. Yeah, I'll jump in on that. So it's a, it's a really key function, obviously, DBS offer, and it's something that we do try and um, provide as much information on as possible for, for any organisations who might not be fully aware of it. So as we kind of touched on, the, the bar inside of things from DBS means that if someone has posed um, a safeguarding concern, they pose the risk to vulnerable groups, DBS can consider all the relevant information and evidence that's been supplied to them. And if there's a, a significant concern, we are able to place them on a barred list. I, we can legally prohibit them from working in regulated activity, as mm -hmm. Daniel said, with children or vulnerable adults. So yeah. Um, the impact is uh, for an individual, if they are placed on a barred list, it means they are legally prohibited from working in regulated activity with those groups. So it is actually a criminal offence for an individual who's barred to mm -hmm. um, attempt to work, offer to work or apply to work in regulated activity. Um, it's also important to note that if an organisation who has a reason to believe an individual is barred, um, if they allow that person to work in regulated activity, it can also be a criminal offence committed by the organisation. So 
it's really crucial that if you are employing people to work in regulated activity, mm. it's a good practice to think about what level of check are you applying mm. for. So we we mentioned, um, obviously, why is it important to know what regulated activity is? And yeah. that's a really important reason. One, because having a good understanding of regulated activity means that you um, understand what level of check you're able to apply for. So as an employer, you have all the relevant information you need to make that suitability decision. And, but it also means that if you are employing people to work in regulated activity, you are making sure that you, are, you aren't employing someone who's actually legally barred from mm. working in those groups. Mm. Um, so in terms of making a bar and referral, obviously we would recommend that um, if anyone does have a safeguard and concern about an individual, um, that is when we would suggest that at least a bar and referral is considered by an organisation as part of their safeguarding practices and procedures. Um, and I suppose we can we can touch on it in some of the, the myth busting aspects of it, mm. but it's, in terms of bar and referrals, some some organisations um, maybe aren't as fully aware of it as, as as they could be in terms of individuals who've been reported to say the police or a regulator. Some organisations feel then that they don't need to make a bar and referral because yeah. they've informed another organisation. But we try and inform people that it's still important to make a referral to DBS yeah. to ensure that we definitely receive that information because even if something has been referred to the police um, even if they take no further action there's, there's a couple of reasons why we would still recommend a, a referrals good practice yeah yes and I suppose that links to you know the wider safeguarding legislation there is out there particularly around things like the children's act and you know the care act for vulnerable adults that actually the duty of care aspect around the, the liability and responsibility ultimately for organisations who have staff who conduct that regulated activity, the types of roles that Daniel very concisely you know, went through for us, that actually is about the organisation having preventable measures in place to ensure actually risk doesn't happen by employing or recruiting unsuitable people mm. who we're aware of may possibly pose a risk to their service users. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to touch on as well that there's for some organisations, there may actually be a legal obligation to make a referral. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's known as the legal duty to refer, um, and it does apply to certain organisations. So if you are a regulated activity provider or a personnel supplier, um, i.e. you are employing someone to work in regulated activity, um, or if you're an agency that supplies individuals to uh, another agency to carry out regulated activity, like a personal supplier, a recruitment agency. Or a tuition service, maybe. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there, if you are one of those organisations, you may actually have a, a legal duty to make a referral to DBS mm. when certain criteria are met. Um, so we do have a, a lot of extensive guidance about the, the bar and referral procedures, what the legal duty to refer is, when mm. it applies. Um, but if in doubt, um, we would always recommend that you contact either DBS or your regional outreach advisor. Um, if you have a particular case that you want to talk about, it's something that um, I can speak about in my role particularly. Mm-hmm. It's something we're always happy to support with. If you do have safeguarding concerns, we would always say best practice to get in touch if you're not sure and we'd be happy to advise you. Yeah, 100%. And I think for our listeners' benefit, what we're aiming to do as part of the show notes is make sure that all of this signposting will have links available to in our guidance. So you have, you know, available to you the the where to get those really important questions answered for sure. Um, fab. So we've kind of looked there at kind of the introduction, the legislation, the regulated activity question and the types of roles that Danielle talked us through that are really applicable. And of course, then the elements around the legal duty to refer for organisations, particularly linked to the types of roles of their staffing within those kind of systems. 
Um, and I wonder, kind of linking back to the role of the employer, the organisation, whether, you know, we can kind of enter into a discussion about can an organisation employ a person with a conviction, but who is not barred? What does that kind of look like in terms of a DBS guidance perspective? Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a few things we can talk about in terms of um, for organisations that do have um that do apply for DBS checks um, where information may be potentially disclosed on those checks. What we tend to advise organisations is at DBS, we don't inform you whether or not someone is suitable or unsuitable to carry out a role. We just provide you any information about an individual that you are legally entitled to know based on the level of check that you've applied for. However, one of the myths that we do cover is Sometimes we hear the phrase, even today, that someone has passed or failed their DBS check. Sure. And yeah. We do try and shine a little bit of light on that in that it isn't a pass or fail system. Yeah. It is down to organisations to make their own suitability decisions based on any information that's been disclosed. So um, sometimes, obviously, it's, it's really good practice to have things such as a recruitment of ex-offenders policy in place. Um, so an organisation who has applied for a DBS check where information has been disclosed, um, they have an idea of what information they will potentially deem suitable mm. or unsuitable. Mm. Um, and there's, there's a lot of important things to consider that obviously me and Daniel can touch on. Like, um, obviously, in terms of, I suppose, a hierarchy of information that's been disclosed, obviously, the first thing you need to look at is um, has someone been placed on a barred list? Because if you've yeah. applied for a DBS check and you can see that that person is barred, you know that they are legally unable to work in regulated activity. Um, outside of someone being barred, obviously, when we're looking at someone not being barred, um, we would recommend that you check that there aren't any, any other um, legal or regulatory requirements in place that would determine whether or not someone is unsuitable based on the information that's been disclosed. So mm. some regulators like the Care Quality Commission, for example, they might have certain rules as a regulator that will say that if someone has had certain information disclosed, um, that they would consider them unsuitable to carry out a certain mm. job role that has fallen under them as a regulator. Um, but there are a number of other factors that you can think think about and potentially have a discussion with an applicant about where they have had information disclosed, such as um, the age at the time mm. of the offence. So yeah. obviously for a lot of people, they may have offences that they've committed a long time ago, mm. maybe a particularly young age, um, and it may be for a particular minor offence as well. Mm. Um, but there's a, there's a number of issues yeah. we can talk yeah. about really. The, the, there's a lot of issues as well because obviously you know just because a person does have a conviction it doesn't mean that they're not suitable to work at all and obviously given what Jordan's just said there about obviously you've got to make sure that there's no um, regulatory requirements or that they're not barred but obviously you need to consider the offence and that's why it's important to speak to an applicant so if an applicant brings a certificate to you that has information on it you need to make sure that as an employer do you understand what that conviction means mm. and it is like Jordan said like trying to understand like, how serious was the offence, how long ago was it, um, was there a pattern of behaviour, of offensive mm. behaviour, um, has the person demonstrated in more recent years that actually they, they broke that, that pattern of behaviour yeah. that they used to have, um, have they maybe, you know, the applicant might be able to explain to you that actually at that time when they committed those offences, they were going through like, you know, certain obviously, experiences in their life, maybe they were in the wrong crowd or they might have been, you know, Elements of coercion. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Particularly yeah. if you've offended as a younger person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or where, you know, people have been involved maybe in you know drug or alcohol addictions at the time, but since then they've come through them. So it, it's just about understanding and speaking to the applicant. 
Um, and again, we always like to advise um, employees if they do have any concerns or they're not sure. NACRA is a really good organisation mm, yes. who will give um, employment advice to, um, you know, about convictions, stuff they can help people as well. Um, or if an applicant needs advice as well, Unlock is a really good resource that we like to sign those applicants to if they are sure. Wonderful. We'll make sure again that NACRO unlock all of those things are popped in our show notes. And um, I think, you know, what both Jordan and Daniel, you've kind of touched on there is really important because I know certainly for the wider workforce area, charities that may have particular focus, say working with young people around, um, you know, reintegrating society. Maybe there's worries around young people being involved in exploitation. Quite often the argument from those charities is actually we quite often welcome perhaps adults who have gone through those experiences, come through the other side of them, because actually that's really positive role modelling for those children and young people. And I think it's important, as you said, to to get that balance between obviously the legality side, if it's barred, not appropriate, but having that discussion with the candidate, with the applicant, because they could have really valuable skills that can actually support, particularly in that sector. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is why we really do hone in on that dispelling that myth of passing or failing dbs because there are options available for organizations and obviously um, there's a lot that they can take into consideration yeah wonderful and i think just to kind of unpick as well you know the role of the employer particularly around you know particular areas of industry that might have struggles with staff retention i'm thinking i know a lot of our early years clients quite often will have um coming and goings of high volumes of staff you know there's quite often pockets of industry that really struggle in you know high t- staff turnover and obviously as part of their usual processes would naturally do those do dbs checks as part of their safer recruitment checklist but there's often a question around that process of employing a person before they receive their dbs certificate i wonder if either of you have kind of had any reflections around just guiding employers around maybe the challenges or risks possibly of that yeah absolutely so there's, there's a few, obviously, risks that you have to take into consideration. Obviously, we appreciate that a DBS check isn't the be-all and end-all. Mm. We always recommend that it forms part of a safe recruitment basket, if you will. There should yeah. be other measures in place alongside it to make sure it's a, a safer recruitment process as possible. Um, so, you know, there could be other things in place, um, such as uh, supervision, like a, a new starter could be placed on the supervision with an existing member of staff. They could be placed on probation. There could be other monitoring in place. Um, but there are risks, obviously, with uh, allowing someone to uh, apply to work, uh, allowing someone to start work before their DBS check has actually appeared. So um, obviously, the first thing that we would be thinking about is if you are applying for a DBS check, the intention of the check itself is for you to determine whether or not someone is suitable mm. to carry out a role. So by definition there, if you are allowing them to start work before the check has arrived, you don't necessarily have the opportunity to use that information to make that suitability mm. decision ahead of time. Um, obviously, the biggest risk is if someone is being employed to work in regulated activity, it's a really considerable risk there if you're allowing them to work before the check arrives because there is potential that they could be placed on a barred list mm. and you are potentially allowing them to work in regulated activity. So as we touched on, that mm. could be a criminal offence both for the barred person and the organisation. Um, but in terms of uh, allowing someone to work um, before a check arrives, I think it is important to think about, one, why have you applied for that DBS check? Obviously, you're using it to make that suitability decision. Um, but also, what other measures have you got in place? So have you got sufficient safeguard and or safe recruitment practice in place that means yeah. that you're comfortable mitigating that risk? Um, but obviously, 
as best practice, we would state that if you are applying for a check, the purpose of the check is for a suitability decision. So it'd be difficult for you to make that decision ahead of the check itself actually arriving. Yeah, without actually knowing the full picture of, of need and, and risk, possibly, that that prospective employee would would have for the organisation and that kind of linking back to the duty of care, you know, on behalf of the employer for the service users, making sure that actually you have full clarity around that prior to that work being undertaken and how you're as an employer possibly holding that risk if actually you opt to implement that steps and that staff member prior to getting that information back. Um, wonderful. So we are just about there on time. Thank you so much to both of you for really working us through some of those key questions I know that we often experience when we're thinking about the systems, the support, not just, of course, from the perspective of enabling and empowering employers to create safe cultures, safe workforces, but also, of course, for individuals as well. Um, So thank you so much both for your time. And just for our listeners, I have managed to elbow both Jordan and Danielle into recording a second episode with me, (laughs) kind of challenging those key myth busting questions. So please do check out our second episode recording with the DBA. Thank you both for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us on this latest episode of Safeguarding Voice. For any documentation, guidance or resources referenced in the episode, please see the show notes. And a special thank you to Danielle and Jordan for joining us. This podcast is produced by Education Child Protection and was hosted by myself, Carly Danes. Music production by Abby Dowsett. For more information about safeguarding, you can find us on all the social media platforms, LinkedIn, X, Facebook and Instagram. And please do listen to more of our episodes that are available in the resources area of our website, on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And if you have time, please leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you.